Again, this is our Global Outreach Week. And Grace Church, you might not be aware of this, we invest over a million dollars every year in what God is doing around the world. Yeah, that's... Um, and we help to keep people like Eric and Chrissy in the places where they serve, and they're having a great impact. They've been, for almost 30 years, in one of the largest countries in Southeast Asia, and they're sort of this global couple, because you guys grew up overseas, and they have three amazing children, Mariana, Will, and Lena, and two... Wonderful, most amazing grandchildren. Most beautiful in the world, most I'm sure. Most beautiful, yes. most precious, cutest, funniest. That's right. So I have great regard for both of you, your genuineness, your passion, your devotion. Chrissy, you and I get to serve on a leadership team together. We see each other probably three times a year, and I've just always admired your wisdom and your thoughtfulness, and, and Eric, to, sit, to watch the two of you serve together, we're just so grateful to have you here this week. So uh, blessings on you both. Would you welcome again Eric and Chrissy Max to Grace Church. Thank you so much, Grace family. We are really glad to be here today. <clears throat> Most of us are meeting each other for the first time, but I feel our connectedness already. We enjoyed the first service. We're going to enjoy this time with you, and then in the third service, we get to meet even more of you. We're all partners in the Christ-centered Acts 1-8 Alliance family, <clears throat> which gathers all across America and serves together globally. Your earnest prayers for God's kingdom expansion and your generous giving to Alliance missions are signs to me that we are family. We're grateful for the invitation to spend time with you this week here at Grace, and we look forward to meeting many of you personally. Early in January, Eric and I were invited to a meal at our friend Ida's house. Our friend and colleague, Annie, was gone on a study leave to finish up her master's degree, and she was coming back soon. So Ida's invitation ran something like this to us. When Annie gets back, I want everyone to come to our house for a celebration meal. Let's keep in touch for the right timing. We all anticipated Annie's return and the meal that we would share together at Ida's house. So when Annie got back, all 15 of us or so in our little NGOs started to ask her, when's your party? When's your party? Hey, when's the party? We filled her in on the schedule of days to come, and she settled on a date that would allow for maximum attendance. At the end of our week where we do an orientation for college students who are joining the NGO for a six-month practicum, 20 or so of us packed out that little front porch and we ate and ate and laughed and talked until we couldn't fit in another bite of rice and spicy fish and tofu. That meal and its invitation reminded Eric and me of another invitation story, the one we find in Luke 14, 16 to 24. And this morning, we would like to consider this passage together because this invitation requires our response our presence is requested. There are more guests invited. Let me read for you, Luke 14, 16 to 24. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. 
At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for now everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, and I, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, for my house must be full, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. We need to look at the context of this parable. It goes back to the beginning of Luke 14. And the scene is one where Jesus has been invited by one of the leading Pharisees to a meal, a Sabbath meal. Somebody brought in a man who was sick. And against all the Pharisees' rigid rules for Sabbath activity, Jesus heals that man and sends him home completely whole. Then Jesus turns his attention to the meal itself. He notices the guests choosing places of honor, and he challenges them with a parable about seeking that high place. They must seek the low place first so that the host can invite them forward. Then he addresses his host, the Pharisee, about the obvious motives in his guest list. And he challenges the way this Pharisee issues his invitations for the sake of reputation. It's interesting that Jesus, who himself was never the host of any of the dinners that he attended until he planned that Last Supper, he's found here teaching the Pharisees and the event organizers about running a great banquet. But there's at least one guest who is tracking with Jesus. In verse 15, he blurts out, Blessed is everyone who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Because the story Jesus was telling about this feast echoed things that the Jews all knew about that time at the end of time when death will be swallowed up. We find it in Isaiah 25. And the center verse, verse 6, says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all nations, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. And so Jesus replied to him, that's the one I meant. That's the feast I'm talking about. And the parable unfolds. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. I used to think that these were uh, the excuses people gave of not coming to the banquet were because they were so busy with life and they, the, the cares of the world and, and hard work and family, the, those limitations made it so that they couldn't come to the party. But I'm realizing now that the excuses that the people made for not coming to the banquet are actually lame excuses. They don't make sense. One says, I bought a field and I need to go look at it. Who buys a field? and doesn't go look at it. Who, who, who buys something without ever sight unseen, right? Doesn't make sense. The second one said that uh, I have five uh, set of oxen and I'm gonna go test them out now that I, that I just bought. 
what kind of farmer buys a, a tractor unseen? And, uh, but you test it, right? You, you go try it out. Something doesn't make sense in the excuses. Then the one says, I just got married, so I can't, can't come. Well, how does getting married keep you from going to a big party in town, right? So instead, these are, these are excuses. These are smoke screens representing something deeper, representing apathy, distraction, or even avoidance for some reason. They didn't want to come, or they didn't know they were invited, truly invited. Maybe they thought, yeah, it's, I know we got an invitation, but it, it's really, they don't really want us there. For some reason, they didn't come. They didn't come to the party. I, I hear that there are many new people here at Grace, and some of you probably don't even know that uh, this church is part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Christian Missionary Alliance was founded by A.B. Simpson um, 130 years ago. And uh, A.B. Simpson was a pastor in a big church in, in, in New York, prestigious church where all the the politicians and the, the rich people and, were there, and, and everything was great, except Dr. Simpson saw that there were neglected masses in the city of, of New York, including Irish dock workers. And so he would go out uh, to, these, to the docks and share the gospel, and he said, they too must get an invitation to the great banquet in Luke 14 that is talked about in Luke 14. Some of the people in the church didn't like all these riffraff coming into church. And uh, they said, I'm not sure they're welcome uh, here. They're not like us. And so Dr. Simpson said, well, then maybe I'm not welcome here either. Because these are the people that God is calling, that he wants in, in the party. Dr. Simpson said about this passage, we are hearing an increased number of excuses from the gospel-hardened people of Christian countries. They have asked to be excused from the feast, and the Lord is turning from them. Then he goes on. At the same time, two remarkable alternatives indicated in the parable are becoming more and more manifest. One is the movement to take the gospel to the slums and the neglected classes of, uh, at home. And the other is the movement to take the gospel to the neglected classes abroad. In Jesus' parable, the host has prepared a full banquet for as many as possible. There's room for everyone. And his goal is that the house would be full. He didn't want any empty seats, any empty places at the table. He sends his servants out to the streets and alleys to bring in the previously invited, those that are poor and crippled, lame and blind. That done, there's still room. And the, the host says, go out. Go farther, go out into the highways, go out into the lanes and find those that could come in. Urge the people, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Recently at our house, it was full. Uh, there were about 30 uh, young people that had come to our house for a meal and also to uh, study the scriptures. Many of them, most of them, were not uh, believers. The, had never touched a, uh, a Bible before. In fact, had been taught that it was a sin to read the, the Gospels. But they were there to, to, to explore and to learn and to eat together and celebrate together. 
And you say, how does, how does this happen? How, how come they're, they're coming? How come they're, they're open like that? Well, it all started about 15 years ago when I began to pray and ask others to pray that I would meet a person of influence in their religious community, the majority faith in our country. And I said, I, I, I'm tired of just talking to, 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 to people that don't have any influence in their own networks. God, show me somebody of influence. I was teaching English one day and met a, um, a very important religious teacher and also a, an editor in a, in a publishing house. And I told him uh, that I was passionate about peace. And he said, I am too. I'm going to tell more about this story on Wednesday night. But uh, he said, will you help us? Will you help us to teach our youth these principles of peace? And so we developed 12 basic values, basic values of peace that we uh, can teach broadly. And glory be to God, after 15 years, there are now uh, thousands of teachers across our country who have been trained in teaching these values of accepting yourself, reject, understanding uh, prejudice, um, understanding that uh, violence is not an answer to, to solve our, our, our differences, under, how, to, how to handle conflict, admitting your own wrong, and forgiving others uh, are these, these 12, 12 basic values. And so uh, we began to uh, teach these and train them, and now uh, thousands, tens of thousands of young people have gone through this program to learn the basic values of peace that are from our scriptures but are packaged for a majority audience. A number of years ago when we had our first training, a man came up to me, a, a leader of a school, and he said, uh, are you Mr. Eric? And I said, yeah. He said, are you a genius? And I said, I don't think so. I don't, <laughs> nobody's accused me of that before. But he said, where did you get those principles that you just taught about? And I said, oh, they're, they're, they're from the Injil. They, I, I grew up reading these, but they're not just for Christians. They're for everyone. He said, I knew they were from somewhere because we never hear this taught in our place of worship. In December, I was invited to speak to 50 government leaders because their region of our country was facing extremism. And they're saying, how do we, how do we stop the radical teachings that are growing up in our area? And so I, I had a chance to talk to them about how to teach values of peace and tolerance and, uh, and, and acceptance of others. After that talk, a man came up and he said, uh, he's a political leader, and he said, can I ask you a personal question? I said, yeah. He said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. He said, no, I mean, are you a real Christian? He said, I've met a lot of Christians, but uh, they don't really live what they say. They're, they're, they're secular. And he said, but you seem different. And I said, thank you. Yes, I am. I follow the Gospels. I follow Jesus. I'm a, I'm a servant of Jesus. He said, I knew it. I could tell. We are inviting young people in our country to experience principles of peace because the banquet needs to be full. There's place for them. They need to know they're invited. In the parable, there's only one servant who's told about. But as I look at the whole story, the context of this big banquet, 
It seems very likely to me that this one servant is actually the servant manager of the whole household because it would take an awful lot of servants to be part of sending out the invitations. Way in advance, you would have to have those who are goat herders and maybe shepherds, the people who are going to make sure that the animals are ready for the feast. You would have renovations for the house, maybe preparations of spices. As the time would draw near, then you would need those who are going to go out, maybe one by one to give out the invitations, maybe even two by two. And you definitely people need people in the kitchen cut cutting all those vegetables. They are heading out. They are preparing for the great banquet. In our little NGO, we are a group of about 15 servants of God. We're all working to extend invitations to the banquet. While we are mostly Bible college graduates, we come with various skills and interests to offer. But what's most important is that we are all focused on growing relationships with those who don't yet know that a great feast is being prepared for them. Their presence is requested. They need to come. Our NGO members are engaged in early childhood education, in gardening, animal husbandry, two handicraft businesses, and we place workers in the middle of communities for empowering the poor, employing them in handicraft projects, and recently, one of our workers started a boys coaching, a boys soccer team. With these skills, relationships are built, and these workers are able to share invitations to that great feast. I remember in 2020, I think it was the spring, maybe about March, when COVID hit, uh, and it was so strong. And uh, Christy and I were field leaders of a team of about 40 of us Alliance workers there in our country. And we got an invitation, uh, not an invitation, we, we got this alarming uh, email from the U.S. Embassy that said, immediately go home, uh, evacuate, leave the country. And there was a countdown. They said, we don't know how long flights are gonna be able to leave. They said, the medical system is gonna collapse. You're all gonna die, basically. And, um, and we're like, wow, what do we do? And, um, and, and they told story and story about uh, the problems that were, were, were coming. And in our, in, our, in our own missionary staff, we're asking, are we supposed to, are we supposed to leave? Are we supposed to do, get out of here? And we just felt like God's saying, no, this is a time that God wants to work and continue to extend those invitations to others. This disease can't stop us from uh, doing the ministry, doing the work of the Lord. At the same time, the Alliance was saying, we don't know what's going to happen with funding because the churches in America aren't meeting. Everybody's losing their jobs. Um, there may be no money to do the work. And we don't know if we can pay you to keep you on the field. But I want to thank you, Alliance family. You kept giving. Even though when it was hard, said that invitations need to keep going out. And I want to declare with joy that there was not one piece of work that we were not able to do. There was no Bible we were not able to give. There was no, no study of scripture that we weren't able to hold because there was no money. 
because you gave. In fact, our little group of workers saw that there was a huge need with the, with the kids because they were, schools were canceled and they were supposed to be learning online, doing Zoom classes. Most of them didn't have internet access. And so we set up these tutoring groups uh, that, that had internet and then a tutor that would help with the students. And during that time, hundreds of young kids were able to learn to read even at a, at a better, time, better rate than they were at their schools before COVID. And so we thank God that this time, though it was difficult for all, everyone, uh, the invitations kept going out because his house needs to be full. Clearly, the invitations we're talking about um, is the story of God's great good news through Jesus. Our NGO makes use of a translation of the Bible that uses the terminology and style of the majority population, the spiritual language that echoes well in their hearts, those who are outside Christianity. The New Testament has been available since the year 2000, and the whole Bible was completed in 2015. And then this translation became available in smartphone apps starting in 2017. God's word is accessible to more and more of the people of the majority religion across our country. We'll tell you more about this Bible on Wednesday, but this morning we want to simply tell you that it is in multiple media formats. About three years ago, our group of workers began partnering with a media group that used and interacted with people through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TV programming, and they would receive inquiries and respond to the questions and the initial um, interactions. But if ongoing interest is shown, then and that person's location is within our small area of influence, the contact information is sent on to us, and that way we can meet with them in person. Our team and this NGO has been on location for 23 years now. And we have been with this media partnership enjoying the last three years as one of our most fruitful times in ministry. The teammate that started initially responding to these um, inquiries has himself baptized over 25 new believers, new followers of Jesus, from the majority population. He tracks the growth of house groups as circles of relationships. And you'll see this diagram <clears throat> that he showed us in a conversation we had in November of 2022. And he was telling us about these new believers sharing their faith, their experience with Jesus to their families and their neighbors. And that forms little house fellowships, small circles of faith. And those small circles of faith birth new circles of faith. And through contact with friends and relatives, the circles multiply. They, they are expanded to more communities. The invitation goes out farther and farther. The first Alliance worker in our country was R.A. Jaffrey. Came in 1929. That was the height of the Great Depression. Came from China to uh, where we are now landed in a port city and noticed that there were many, there was almost no one 
uh, he could find that knew the name Jesus or had any understanding of, of the Christian faith. So uh, began to, to see who was there and found that the coastal people were resistant. They had a uh, religion and uh, they, they were not open, but interior were many, many Dayaks, uh, tribal people that uh, were animists, and uh, they were very responsive. And so now we have many, many churches in the interior of, our, uh, of this big island. But the master of the party would say, but there are still empty places at the banquet. And he would say, does everybody know? Do those coastal people groups, those unreached people groups, do they know that they're invited as well and that there's a place for them? At the same time, we have recently heard that the country is moving its capital city uh, from Java to this island. And they are taking a place in the middle of the jungle, basically, and building a city that will host over a million people. Chrissy and I heard that this was coming and that it was happening and found it uh, interesting and compelling that the place where the, the new capital is, is being built is also where there are five uh, unreached people groups, large groups of people who don't have any church among them. And so we began feeling a nudge in our hearts that maybe we were supposed to go, to leave where we have been for 25 years and start a new initiative in that place. And so uh, we have been praying and strategizing and looking at the map and are dreaming of what this might look like. In October, Lord willing, we'll be moving there to, to start a team. We're looking at reforestation. We're looking at raising goats, an English school, a house of prayer and healing, we have many ideas, um, but we're not sure what the Lord is, is going to uh, open up for us. But the people there on that island, along that coast, need to be invited. And that's why we're going. A couple weeks ago, Eric received a text from our colleague Jason, who said, you'll be at the big conference, right? And Eric said, um, what big conference? I don't know about it. I don't have an invitation. Jason said, you gotta be there. I'll get you an invitation. And that is how we feel as we look at the people of our city, the people of our nation on the other side of the world. They've gotta be there too. They need to be at the great feast. God's heart of deepest love seeks their presence at his great feast at the end of time. But how will they know unless they hear the invitation? And how will they hear unless his servants go? It's imperative that people receive this wonderful news, this invitation. All of us must be engaged in taking all of Jesus to all the world. We need to make sure that everyone knows their presence is requested because God's word is out. It's the master's invitation, and no one should squirrel it away or toss it over on the pile of junk mail. Today, we're reminded that we've all been invited to the dinner. The host of the feast says he'll wait until the banquet house is full. So we're all preparing for that feast. 
We're all being asked to relay the invitations to our friends, family, neighbors, the marginalized in our communities here, out to the nations. And because God's house is not yet full, let's keep calling each other to the way of Jesus, growing our roots deep into Christ, listening intently to God's voice so that we obey, watching for opportunities and open doors to share this great good news, living sacrificially, spending carefully, loving recklessly, taking faith-filled risks. Together, let's make sure God's house is full. Let's pray. Lord, we hear the people getting ready for the banquet. The plates are tinkling and the food is coming out. But there are so many that still don't know that they're invited there. Will you raise up today an army, a new army of men and women who are willing to go, go to the hardest places and take those invitations? Will you release in this congregation a wave of your spirit where people will pray and claim territory for God? Will you free people from, from their, uh, their stuff and their programs and their plans and, and, and release them into your work that they can uh, enjoy being part of this huge army that is taking that message across the globe. Thank you, Lord. Meet us. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to invite. In Jesus' name, amen.